Welcome to the Flamcast. It's the day before the Giro starts, uh, but Derek and I haven't had a chance to sit down and have a chat about the back end of the Spring Classic season. So we'll do a bit of that first before we have a, a wee brief look forward to the Giro. Um, it's going to be a game of two halves. Derek, how you been, mate? Not too bad, not too bad. Kind of looking forward to this Giro. I'm a bit confused and conf- conflicted over it, but um, we'll, we'll discuss that later. And I suppose... Looking back at the classic season, it's been it's been a mixed bag, hasn't it, for some of the riders? Um, you know, no real domination that we kind of expected from Quickstep. Sagan and Van Avermaet weren't great either, so it's been a mixed bag for the start of the season. Yeah, I mean, we talked earlier on about uh, some of the rides in the classics, but I mean, I think this is probably the the. 22nd time I've mentioned this phrase but what we saw was a Sagan who was riding on class note form. Oh yeah. It was his racing brain that was getting him into situations where he could have won but his body just wasn't up to the task. No, no and even if you take his Roubaix ride like you know you, you saw him eating, drinking constantly eating and drinking even late late on in his race he was like a man who was about to you know bonk or hit the wall or whatever but I, I think he just he knew he just needed to keep fuel in the body if he could keep fuel in the body with disposable fuel as such whatever he was putting in he was going to be able to hang in there he knew what to do and even Flanders he was there thereabouts he just didn't put the nose into the wind all day um he didn't waste a watt you know and he, he rode he, like you said he just rode off his class and he knew the legs weren't there but the head was I tell you, the other thing that, that really quite cheered me up is, for me, the, the finish in Ons for Liège-Bastogne-Liège is the new finish. It changed in the very early 90s. And the new, new finish, the one that people saw this year, I think is a vast improvement. It made the race a whole bunch less predictable. And for Jacob Fuglesang, that must have been just an amazing feeling when he arrived at a line without seeing uh, Julian Alaphilippe's arse. Yeah, and I I thought there that last little descent he was going to land on his arse as well. That must have been the save of the oh, save. That was hellish. Yeah, I'm st- I'm still not sure about that final straight. It doesn't look as good as it possibly could. Um, it you know it's it's a little bit twisty, turny. And normally you have a you know if you look at uh, Flanders the way they have to run in there, it's a nice long straight. They can have a a good good you know um portion of it railed off for fans and all that sort of stuff so uh, from that point of view I, i'd like to see that in a bit more depth but yeah I, the tr- coming down the trees that descent that tricky bit it favors that breakaway because you can't you know if flanders you know it's a, a straight 13k or 14k mm-hmm. whatever it is it's main roads uh liege yeah if you have the 10 15 30 seconds he's out he's out you can't see the motorbikes he's out of, he's out of sight you know is he is he 10 seconds ahead is he 30 seconds ahead can we see him can we see him so there's yeah there's the element of chance in there um and yeah i, I suppose for me with liege i, I thought quick step rolled a strange race um i i very much felt like that ala philippe didn't have a leg um yeah. you know Brabant's appeal uh amstel he just he had he, he looked like a rider who was still on the road to recovery from uh terreno mm-hmm. um and i just didn't think he had the leg and i thought Quick step rode very, very strongly, very, very early on, and maybe they rode a little bit too strongly, and maybe could have kept Gilbert in for, in contention because it didn't really hot up that much on uh, the last few climbs. And I'd say if he hadn't burnt matches early on, he could have been very much in contention. Yeah, I think if Quick Step had held it to maybe even as late as Laredou, they could have done some serious damage. I think maybe the whole kind of victory that he'd had midweek at Flesh Wallone had flattered to deceive a wee bit. Yep. Um, 
We saw Fuglesang go early on that, um, and at a point no, where I think no. everybody was shooting, Jacob, you've gone too soon. You've gone too soon, mate. Somebody will come round you. And people have said to me he had no other choice, you know, that it was the only way he could win. What we've seen in recent years, there's only one way to win Flesh Wallone, and it's to wait until the silly bugger goes off 150 metres too early, get in their wheel, and then sit there until you know you'll blow up just as you cross the line. Exactly. And it's, you know, if you look back, you look at Dan Martin, you look at Cadell Evans, you look at Valverde, it took him a few, a few little, you know, going early, going a little bit later, going, and they measured it. And eventually it's just, it's just a, a measured effort. Like, you know, the lad that goes down at the bends very early, nah, he's going to be nowhere. He will be 27th by the time we cross the line. The lad, the lad that goes at the 300 go sign or the 400 go kind of sign, He'll be fifth or sixth. Yeah. Um, you know, it's and just, if he's really classy, he might be second. Yeah. But he's certainly not going to be first. No, definitely not. Like he, he might, he might take out a big gap, but he's definitely not going to be first. Um, yeah. So I, I, like you said, I think it was just a measured effort, and he knew what to do. Um, and it, it, like you said, it probably did flatter to deceive. If you look at Brabant's appeal and Amstel, he just, he was, he was short of that, that last little bit. And funnily enough, um, our last month's uh, newsletter. Uh, one of the guys, uh, one of our, our um, guys that follows us on Twitter, I think it's Mark Florence, asked me to predict what would happen with um, Alaphilippe. And I predicted, yeah, that Total Direct Energy would come in for him, offer him a big contract. And seemingly they are coming in for him and they are offering him a Four massive... million euros. Yeah. yeah. So it's, a hefty, it's a hefty amount of money. And we've seen, actually, Nicky Terpstra this year was, was tempted to what is now Total, was Direct Energy. Um, and I think he actually performed better than I expected. If you added an Philippe and kept a Terpstra, suddenly you've got a hell of a classic squad. Yeah, yeah, and they're, they're, they're meant to be looking at a lot of riders. Um, and I suppose we do have to add, there's is there something like 100 riders out of contract this year? Yeah, uh, I mean, the, the, actually, the whole move to smaller team stuff, the unexpected consequences, the, how hard it is for somebody to find a ride, even when they're a really classy rider, any any idiot could have seen that coming. Yeah, and I suppose we we, we should revise that. They're down to ninety nine riders looking for a contract. Uh, Marcel Marcel Kittel has um, terminated early with Katusha, which is a crying shame as well. Yeah, and I mean, really classy tweet earlier this morning as we record from Mark Cavendish, where over a, a thread of three tweets, he says that Kittel was the first person that made him think, "How do I beat this guy?" You know, because he yeah. felt invincible up to then. And the sad thing about that is Mark will know Marcel's situation better than us, I would think. And that reads like an obituary. Almost does, yeah. And I suppose, look, I, I, I used to give um, Marcel a bit of shit because he couldn't get over a, a humpback bridge or a speed ramp. But at the end of the day, he was probably one of the only sprinters that I've ever seen that took on Cavendish and Greipel in their pump and bet them both. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, look, you can say, oh, you know, Gronowigan is starting to beat them now, but they're well over the hill at this stage, or they have a good view of the valley at this stage. Like, but Kittel came along and took him on in their pomp and bet him fair and square. Like, yeah, just with raw horsepower. Yeah, often with no real tactics, just with raw horsepower. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. just a, a big beast of a man on a bike. Yeah, and I did, I did feel way back when when he left Argos Shimano as it was back then um, that. If a team built for him, if he wasn't happy at a, at a team that was built for him, he, I, I didn't think he was ever going to be happy anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, 
I, I hope he, he gets some happiness in his life. I hope he moves on. I hope he has a fantastic future ahead of him, fantastic career ahead of him. And I just, I hope he doesn't turn into a, another story like Ulrich or anything like that. Yeah, I think he just needs to take some time reset and come back and maybe reshape himself as a kind of flat classics guy. Maybe because with that amount of power, if he, I mean, if he knuckles down and takes things seriously, he could do quite a lot within the sport still. And I mean, he's he's old compared to the young whippersnappers coming up, but he's still young enough to have a decent career in front of him. So all the best to him. Oh yeah, definitely. But I don't think we'll ever see him coming back racing. I think maybe a year or so away from the bike or away from racing, maybe time with the family and maybe develop a a different career or develop a business or something like that might might reset him and we might see him come back as a DS or something like that in a couple of years' time. Yeah. The other, I mean, one more name that we need to mention in the classics, I mean, there's, there's a couple. One is Greg Van Avermaet, who we haven't discussed, who I think he's looked physically strong enough for the entire classic season. I mean, he he was definitely well enough to, to win a race. I think we saw a return to the kind of thinking that got him seconds behind just about everybody and their granny a few years ago. I mean, he just didn't look like he had his racing head on right up until the Tour of Yorkshire, actually. And the other person is Alejandro Valverde. He's out with the Giro, out of the Giro with something that seemed really, really nasty. Yep. You know, so, I mean, those two guys, I think, underperformed pretty much as much as Sagan. Yeah, I think Van Avermaet was very, very strange. Um, I thought that um, he didn't have the team support and stuff like that. And fair enough he doesn't have the team support but he missed crucial moves at crucial times he wasn't yeah. in the right place um he was like someone who was defeated before he went out yeah. um and just wasn't following the right things wasn't in in the right place and at times then he reverted back to type one greg strong like bull and he was trying to pull 20 or 30 riders across to another break and you know there was riders up their own there was they were never going to get across and yeah it looked very much like the the greg that we knew a couple of years ago where he was finishing second everywhere um see yeah, when he looked so strong you'd often wonder how he'd managed to pull second out the bag yeah yeah. You know, how's he going to lose this? And I don't mean in terms of the creative losing that we used to see when folk were passing envelopes back and forth. I mean, you know, just doing something so stupid that you throw away a golden opportunity. Yeah. And, you know, look, you go back and you look at um, his Olympic victory and it was a it's a fantastic ride and it just shows how far he had evolved and come on like whereas if you saw you know at one stage if Van Avermaet was anywhere in a group um, he was going to be second like you know that's that's yeah. that was him like he, it was four people there he was going to be second no matter what you thought but um, yeah it's a strange one and that CCT team looks I don't know it just looks like a collection of old timers kind of I don't know lads that were out of contract um, some well, I thought BMC were chaotic and failed to support each other CCC took that up a level the, I would say took it down a level even um, yeah. but, uh, you know it, it's not as if they've got real high class riders that are screwing each other over for a win they just don't have yeah they, they, they've lost quite a few I think it, it's a transition year and I think maybe they're going to have to try and build next year I, and if they've signed a lot of those riders on two year contracts or anything like that they might be stuck with them for a while so I, it's going to be interesting to see how they correct this year next year now um, see, I they're missing Rebel and that's what's wrong well the other thing they're missing is um, the, who they lost is Alan Piper yeah uh, Piper's gone to huge to UAE no mm-hmm. I can't remember, where he, but he's going. Is the yeah. main point? Yeah, his he's directing Christoph and Gaviria, um, mm. and I I thought he probably was 
the brains behind um, a very good season for so far for Gaviria and Christoph, who've rode very, very well. I know Christoph in the recent past and uh, last few weeks has been kind of rumbling about contract and that he's looking for someone to come get him. But uh, I thought he had a good season so far. Gaviria is off to the Giro now, so it looks like Christoph will get the tour. So, you know, it, it, with two sprinters, two, two type one sprinters or two uh, alpha sprinters, you know, keeping in, keeping them apart and get it, giving them two grand tours like that, um, you know, uh, you'd be happy enough. Um, but yeah, I think he just wants a, a bit more of a chance and a bit more support at the, Christoph wants a bit more support for the early season classics as well. Yeah. Um, looking back on the, the spring campaign as a whole, um, I, I don't think it's it's a classic spring season. It's certainly one I've thoroughly enjoyed. And there's a few things that I think, you know, when we're doing a This Week in Cycling History with Killian in 50 years or whatever, the rise of Machu van der Poel will probably be the one big takeaway of this season. Yeah, it will be. And um, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes from here. Um, I know he's he's on the mountain bike now currently, and uh, I see Tim de Klerk stopped him yesterday. Mm. Did you see what happened there? No, I missed that. Go for it. Uh, so he's riding a mountain bike stage race at the moment, and um, there was a prologue of all things yesterday. Um, because it's kind of open forest and there's a, a track coming into where the forests are, he got caught behind the tractor. <laughs> God, only knows what Tim, God only knows what Tim DeClerc was doing in, in the forest, but there you go. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what he does. Like I suppose the two things that are standing out for me with, with Van Der Poel is that he's, he's on a long-term contract. He's on, he's on a contract to... 2023 with uh and circus and yeah and they're wanting to build the world tier team around him apparently yeah but i, I i've heard that they, they don't really want to go that far i think they're kind of they're happy enough at where they are plus as well he's got the olympics so he's very much committed to that so i can't see him doing a full season next year so look we'll, we'll see what happens after after the olympics next year it'll reveal a lot about him where he wants to go and what he wants to do um and you know it's going to be interesting to see if they have the the firepower to then sign riders to back him up and look after him and ride with him or will he try and go to a different team will he go to a quick step or will he go to a total and apparently the national team director still pushing him very hard to ride the road world yeah so he's got... uh, which i mean can you imagine having a road world championship he doesn't ride any road races yeah it, it would be a horrible it would it would be a bit farcical but like it's it's cycling after all so something like that really isn't that farcical after all well, we're not going to see the Dutch national champions jersey in the tour, which is, you know, really weird. Yeah. Um, and it would be the same with the, the, the rainbow stripes next year. Um, let, let's take a wee move on. Uh, yeah. Because it's it's Giro time. Now, for me, this is my favourite thing about talking shit into a microphone for a living is the Grand Tours because we do 21 daily shows in a row on the Velocast. Uh, 22 if you include the preview, 23 if you include you know the wrap-up at the end. And the Giro is, is the start of that, and it takes a, a week, a couple of weeks to get into your stride. And I think Mauro Venni's clearly been listening to the Velocast and realised it takes us a couple of weeks because this Giro that's coming up is really weird. The yep. prologue is essentially a test for the GC guys as opposed to a straight-out blast for, you know, the prologue specialists. It finishes with really quite a big muckle climb in a short prologue. And then nothing really happens until about stage 13 that's of big significance. Yep. But after that, it's just absolutely mental. So you've got this problem of if you peak for the end of the thing, 
there's enough places where you could lose time, including the prologue early on, that you might be out of contention by the time you hit your form. But if you're saving yourself for the really brutal back end of the race, you might lose time. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's a beautifully unpredictable race. Yeah, yeah. I think you've, you've, you know, prologue, and do you have another individual TT quite early as well? Yeah, which is mostly uphill as well. You know, it's, it's hard. Yeah, uh, you've got a, a 35k time trial next Sunday week, so the the stage nine. Yeah, yeah um, but they don't hit the mountains proper until what the 24th and stage 13. Yeah, yeah, and it's, um, and, and it's the first summit finish. It, 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 I, if we wind back a bit, I suppose the Giro had this Giro looked as if it was going to be the the Grand Tour of the season. So first of all, you had a lot of the, the the new sprinters. So Ewan wanted to go, Gaviri wanted to go. You had Viviani going back there, uh, Ackerman getting his 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 head at uh, Bor. So yet that yeah, you. It'd be but, great to see Sam Bennett there, wouldn't it? Let's not rub salt into Derek's wounds there. <laughs> um, Why aren't they taking Sam? I have no idea. Look, I I, I think uh, Denk made his decision early. Um, he's he's stuck by that, and he's put he's put um. He's put a plan together for Ackerman and put a plan together for the team, and that's what they're going to do. Um, and I think and a German sponsor, of course. I mean, all joking aside, their main sponsor's German. Of course, they're going to take a German guy. Yeah, and look at at the end of the day, it's been said elsewhere. You know, publicity is where it's all about, and this model around cycling, and a fourth or fifth at, at a, a a Giro stage for the German national champion may get them more press in Germany than a win by an Irishman. Mm-hmm. Which, which is a sad reflection of the sport but just to just to move on from that so you, first of all you've got all those guys coming together so you're looking for a good sprinter scrap now I, I've said it previously about the, the Giro it doesn't treat it doesn't have the same formula as the the tour where it does a couple of sprint stages mountains sprint stages TT-ish mountains you know and so the the the, the the sprinters stay in the race and they stay involved and like I think a couple of years ago um, Evans may have been in the, the sprint jersey or the points jersey and mm-hmm. I think Cav took it off him on the last stage or it's it's a little bit strange like that so um, what you're going to see this time around probably it's probably going to see a lot of the, 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 the sprinters climb off on stage 13 so you're not going to yeah. see a, you're not going to see a fight for you're not going to see a fight for the, the sprint jersey all the way to the end which kind of it kind of does rip something out of it um, and also, I think you're going to hate me for this. Um, I know you're not a fan of the, the the kind of ceremonial last stage, but I do love that kind of sprinter world champion thing. The, the you know win that. Oh, see, I love a time trial in the last stage, so we are going to disagree about that one. Yeah, no, I I think I suppose I you've 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 you're very much embedded in that, that it should be a live stage. It should be a stage that's up for grabs. It yeah. should be a stage that's up for the GC. Um, and I, I agree on that element, but I do think that would, yeah, that there needs to be something kind of nice or there needs to be kind of a, a, a proper stage for the end. And I, I think that, you know, maybe not having a proper sprint stage for the end where they have a ceremonious finish or that, it's finishing into a certain street in Rome where, you know, it needs something like that, I think, to set off the end of it as well, that sprinters would hang in for and would want to win. So if that's that's a strange little thing. That's You know, you were looking for that to develop and you've seen the route now. And so you're probably going to lose a lot of the sprinters quite early there. And I was looking at, you know, early on you were looking at uh, Roglic's going well, you were looking at 
Bernal was going well. You're looking at whether Bernal was going to go, where Thomas is going to go, was Froome going to go. Um, so you had a lot of, very much early on this season, you had a lot of speculation about what was going to happen for the Giro. And it's kind of, I don't know, it's fallen a little bit flat in its face, I think, in the last little while. Um, what do you think? I think Bernal breaking his collarbones had a bigger effect on who I'm viewing it than I thought it would. Yep. I mean, I, I saw it as a real fight between, you know, the, the Colombians first with Miguel Angel Lopez and Astana. He's only 25. Yep. And young Bernal coming in, I thought we would see a, a fight for the future. And we still might, actually, because Bernal being out has changed one other thing. I thought we were going to see some really strong performances from Vincenzo Nibali, which I think we might. He's shown all the forms. Tom Dumoulin saying he's going back. The roster of potential winners, you know, Mikel Lander for movie star with Alejandro Valverde theoretically in support, but now he's not riding because of that that weird bone thing that's going on. Um, it felt like it was going to be by far the strongest Grand Tour in terms of containers. Simon Yates, of course, after collapsing last year, has gone back with something to prove. But now I'm, I'm kind of looking at it as... I think flat's the right way to describe it. I'm less excited about the GC battle. Now, I think we're still going to get a magnificent stage race. The route is going to demand that of the riders towards the end. But I don't feel it's as loaded with GC guys as I felt it was going to be compared to the Tour. Yep. You know, I'm, I, I think a lot of the guys are there not because they want to win the Giro, but because they're shit scared of you know, the team that formerly used to be Team Sky with Thomas and Froome and them and their coaches and their managers have looked at it and go, well, if, those, if that team have got those guys there, we've got no chance. Let's go somewhere where we've got a chance to win. So it almost feels like they're starting as the second chance saloon that the Vuelta well has become, but yep. before the tour instead of after the tour. Yeah, and I think to add to that as well, I think uh, Big Tam has had a very, very um, underwhelming start to the season. Has, Doesn't he look right? He looks a bit translucent, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he, he, I mean, that that first time trial that we were talking about with the, you know, the brutal finish up the hill, is going to give us a genuine indication of how he's going. Yeah. Um, because where he's suffered as he transitions to a GC guy, you know, he won his Giro d'Italia with with his time trial in prowess. He's still a magnificent time trialist, but he just he, he not right is the best way I can describe it. He doesn't look like somebody who's in the bloom of health, absolutely on top of his form. No. You know, he, he looks like somebody who's struggling a wee bit, and I hope I'm wrong, and I hope he comes in and absolutely takes this thing to bits. Now, the only the only other thing that could be possible is that he's been on a different programme, and yeah. they've stripped weight off him. And yeah. that's that's why he looks a little bit translucent and kind of a little bit grey around the, the, the ages, and that they've put him on to something different put him onto a different programme this year and they've worked with him harder and he, he may be just a different rider this year and flipping that over um, Roger looks like uh, he looks like a Froome he, you know I, I think uh, Jumbo Visma they're, they're very much embedded in sports science I, there's, none of the teams aren't these days but they've really gone into depth into it I think from what I've seen of him so far this year I think he looks like a rider who's adopted the uh train high race high method um that sky talked about a few years ago you know that they weren't looking to peak for the giro and go back down and peak again i think he's been in... oh, you stay within five percent of your top form yeah and he looks like a rider that has all you know uh terreno romandy um he looks very very good so far now look 
the Giro's, I hate saying this, but the Giro's a Giro and it always throws up ambushes. There's always strange stuff happens in it. Um, so, you know, you, you can't say, oh, he's, a, he's odds on favourite and, you know, put your, house, put your house on him. But I, I would, at this stage, even before pedal is turned, I would probably have Rog Lake Yates, five stars, probably Dumoulin, four, Lopez, Landa, Nibali on four, and then everyone else mm-hmm. after that. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, the, the wild card in the bunch for me is the team that formerly used to be called Sky. Uh, because in the, the lack of Bernal, we've got uh, Theo Gagan Hart, uh, we've got Sivakov, the, the the young guy who won the Tour of the Alps. Now, both of those guys were magnificent in the Tour of the Alps. And you can't compare a short, you know, few-day race to a three-day tour. But Bernal not being there, I think, provides an opportunity for a, a real breakout ride for one of these younger riders. You've got... Uh, young Sosa, who was brought on essentially as a lieutenant, I think, for, for Bernal. But in their early days, a very comparable talent. Yep. So that team have got a team that was built to support a genuine GC bid from Bernal. So it's a you know it's by no means a B squad. And you've got three, maybe four guys who could potentially step up, you know, step up and take that leader's role. But they can hide a wee bit. You know, they're not one of the really big favourites. So they're not going to have to take on all the responsibility that they would have had to do if Bernal had been there. Yeah, and this is the thing that I was looking forward to seeing with Bernal. I don't know everyone's saying, look, he's going to win all around him. But he, he has the possibility. He has the potential. What I wanted to see was, over the three weeks, whether he could take the hardships. So the extra doping controls, the waiting around for the hour, the press conferences. Yeah. The half brother twice removed on his mother's side, ringing him for tickets. The father ringing him for you know all that sort of stuff that that encompasses the, the madness that is leading a grand tour. And see how he absorbed that. Now look, the other side of it as well is he's young, he's very very young, and none of that may bother him. And you know, whereas if he was twenty eight or twenty nine and he'd done a couple of grand tours, and he needed stuff to be done in a certain method or a certain methodology. He needed to be, he needed to get his eight hours. And, you know, he needed to do this and he needed to do that. But he's much more flexible as a younger rider. But it was going to be interesting to see how he fared out. And like you said, with these guys that they don't have uh, a leader, they're not expected to chase. They're not expected to ride down breakaways. They're not expected to mark other climbers. They're not expected to mark Nibali, Yates, whatever else. They could. They have. They now have a free ride as such. Um, maybe. I would say I would definitely say that they are going to be. They have three contenders there for the the white jersey, and it's mm-hmm. going to be it's going to be interesting to see how they ride for that. And um, because uh, last couple of years, last year Landa and Carapaz, it is Carapaz. Yeah, I mean that's that's movie star's secret weapon actually is Carapaz. All everybody's eyes are going to be on Landa, but Carapaz is perfectly capable of slipping into a break and getting an amount of time that worries the the other GC guys. Yeah. And the two of those went out at hammer and tongs last year for the, the white jersey. So it'll be interesting to see if there's a, a bit of a battle there for the, for, for the white jersey or will it just be a Ineos rider clear and they can just keep on stage hunting or trying to get into breaks and stuff like that. So they've they've got a very much a, a very different role from what we're quite used to for Ineos. Um, so that's going to be very interesting to see how, how they fare out. Plus as well, you've also got Esteban Chavez there who's in support of uh, Yates who... I think he needs to prove himself again. I know he's had uh, a few illnesses and all that sort of stuff. So he's a guy that's going to be looking to prove himself. And I think Yates is is, is the very much dark horse for, for it, I think, overall. I, uh, I've got three guys who I think are, are potentially 
um, eco-favourite. Yates is one of them. I think he'll have learned from last year when he got taken apart by Chris Froome in that Finestra stage. Um, Primoz Roglic, we, we both mentioned, we watched him. Uh, he, I mean, he's won every stage race he's turned up at this year. Yep. Um, my only worry about him is he's one of those guys who always seems to have just a slightly iffy day over three weeks. Yeah, and if one of those iffy days is towards the back end of this race, it's game over. You know, suddenly he's fifteenth as opposed to first. Um, and the other person who I genuinely think he'd win is Vincenzo Nibali. He's been digging in at the classics, just looking for workouts. You know, and at the Tour of the Alps, I, I think he looked like he was out on hard training rides. You know, when he even when he was beaten by Theo Gagan Hart on that stage. He looked like he was having a dig because he needed to get the watts in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He looked like a lad sprinting for signs and just didn't really care. Um, so I, I, I could easily see him creeping up in the last two stages before the time trial and just getting enough to, to take the overall. Yeah, and the other thing that uh, Nibali has that other riders don't have is he will he will throw the Hail Mary. He will go for a shit or bust. He will try and do that Condor thing where he, he go- gives zero fucks whether if, he, if he's not going to win he doesn't care yeah he will you know, if it's one of his genuine objectives and he said the Giro is his big objective of the year he'll, in training races he'll throw things away if it's his genuine objective one of Nipoli's great strengths is that old cliche he's prepared to lose to get the win he is and you know everyone can say that you know oh he's had a cheap Tour de France win because you know everyone fell off but yeah wasn't. He, he didn't fall off yeah Exactly. Uh, you know, and he. This is the thing about Nibali. Like he just he knows what to do. He knows where to be. He knows how to get through this sort of stuff. And I think if you, yeah, I I would be very much lean towards the same sort of thing as yourself. That if he isn't touching distance, he's the sort of guy that could. I won't say repeat the Finestra stage that Froome did, but he could do something similar. If you know what I mean, that he will gamble and he will try and take something on. And I think uh, to his benefit. I, there's not a uh, Jumbo Visma are not as strong as Ineos. Uh Team Sunweb are definitely not as strong as Ineos. Um Although it might be interesting telling the jerseys apart if the weather's bad. Yeah, very much so. So I think uh, the likelihood of him making an attack, making a gamble that will stick, um, is bigger. You know, he, he, the likelihood of it is bigger because he won't have. A Kiwatowski, a Bernal, uh, a Pools, you know, he won't have four or five riders riding him down because yeah. I, I just don't think those those teams have the strength and depth that Ineos have. So I think um, if he if he goes and throws the Hail Mary, the likelihood that it might stick is, is stronger. No, I, I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. I mean, I, I haven't said that, you know, I was saying it felt a bit flat. I've talked myself around now and I'm back to being excited. Yeah. It just shows how fickle I am. You know, once we talk it through, it's not... It doesn't feel as impressive as I thought it was going to feel at the start of the year. But the options are really varied. And for fans, you know, for us, that's fantastic. Unpredictable. It's, it's always good. Right. You've got uh, you've got twins to look after, which is demanding at the best of times. So let's wrap this up. Uh, who's going to win? Um, I think Rogelik. Rogelik. Mm-hmm. I, think he, he's, he's, I think he's nailed on. I think time trials suit him. I think... Um, He's a bit of a grimper. He he won't lose that much time on the, the big climbs. He might lose some. Um, I think. I think. Yeah, Yates second, Nibali third. 
See, I would go for that podium as well, uh, but I'm going to go for Yates in the top step because the time trials, the climby nature, particularly the early ones, I think will, will blunt a lot of the losses that he might have had. I think he'll have learned from last year. And can you imagine, you know, we're, we're talking about another English-speaking rider who's potentially looking at his second Grand Tour. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah. Um, and I suppose the other thing as well is it's going to be interesting to see who comes comes to the finish with the sprinters. I think um, if you look at Viviani, he hasn't got the the A, A team there. He hasn't got yeah. Mark, he hasn't got Markov. He hasn't got Ruchesi. Uh, Gaviria hasn't looked very sharp this year yet. He hasn't. So it's going to be interesting to see who who, who takes that jersey to the end as well. Do you know who would have absolutely washed up those sprinters? Sam Bennett. Absolutely. Um, now you're going to, I think the Flamcast is probably going to disappear. We might fit one in uh, during the Giro, but you know, because of the daily shows with the Velocast, uh, Velocast.cc if you want to sign up people, um, my time's much tighter during the, the Grand Tour, so we might not fit in a Flamcast, but you're going to be joining us for a couple of the, the daily analysis shows. Hopefully. Uh, so, yeah, definitely. So people will hear from you anyway. Uh, where can people find you on the internet, Derek? Uh, people can find me hanging around Twitter at Flamcast. And that's the best place. Get in touch, let us know what you think, uh, and we'll be back after the Giro with another Flamcast, but you'll hear from Derek and I and the Velocast daily shows for premium subscribers. <laughs>